Praise God. Kindly turn in the word of God with me to Acts chapter 2. As we bring you greetings in the name of the Lord, we're grateful for his mercies and the opportunity for us to gather together. Thank you, choir, for ministering and leading us. And uh, we need to be reminded at the end of God, I'm calling, Reverend Katanga is coming, there's some exercise related to our live groups, but uh, there's a, a men's uh, announcement, um, so please remind me, but just now I want us to get to the word. Um, it's, it's camp week for men, so we'll need to say a few things at the end, I trust that you've been ready for that. But Acts chapter 2. The Lord motioned my heart this week to a passage that we've preached on, I think, maybe a uh, hundred times before. At least if I think about my lifetime. From verse number 42. And we welcome those of you who are joining us remotely to please read the word of God with us as well. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So we need to find out who these people are. Who are they? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all believers were together and had everything in common. They identified now. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying oh there is such a thing as enjoying in the kingdom enjoying the favor of all the people and the lord added to their number daily those who were being saved there's some very very powerful things in there i cannot cease to be amazed how fresh this became this week 
as the Lord led me towards it. And so he's given me a message to share, which I have entitled. And I've, I felt led to make it part of the learning series. You remember I did a message here a few months back on learning the fear of God. And so there are a number of other things the Lord is leading me towards uh, uh, a future publication be the learning series and so this is another set learning the basics of the culture of God's kingdom learning the basics of the culture of God's kingdom let us pray father in the name of Jesus lead us and guide us grant us the ability to convey the things that you have so deeply ingrained inside um, my heart as we deliver this to your people for the sake of that which you have ordained to be actualized in the lives of your precious people, we ask for all this through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, with thanksgiving. Amen. You may be seated. Learning the basics of the culture of God's kingdom. Now, the word culture is a very complex one. And if we ask the question, what is culture? This is such a technical term that whole books, whole courses in institutions, theological institutions and non-theological institutions, in the study of anthropology, in, in basics of, of that nature, this can get so technical and very complicated. We don't need that. So I picked on something that's very simple, which you can find in basic dictionary, but even in dictionaries, they are very elaborate definitions. We don't need them. Culture is really the way of life of an entire society. A way of life. That which has been adopted. That which is possibly including Norms, norms, things that are known to be the way they are. And so they are adopted and they are seen as acted out. Traditions, beliefs. In many circles, in a traditional, uh, in, in a conventional setting, culture involves arts and artifacts. Generally, culture involves what you refer to as mores. And mores are those uh, essentials, essential or characteristic customs. If you look at a custom that's characteristic, it becomes a, a more, a, a convention of a society. In a society, it may be considered inappropriate to stand when you are speaking to an elder. So in a culture of that nature, where it is considered inappropriate to stand when you're speaking to an elder, you are expected to either kneel. That's a moray. The moray of those society requires that you kneel or at least abase yourself somehow if you're speaking to elders. Or it might be that if you come, you walk in, if you're in a room, an elder walks in and there's no seat for them, a moray of that society might dictate that the young one 
gives up the seat so that the elder can sit. That's a moray within a culture. Now, when it comes to God's kingdom, God's kingdom has a culture. And that's what the Lord led my thoughts towards this week. God's kingdom has a culture. What we would like to look at as a godly way of life that is guided by his word. That's the culture of the kingdom. So let's throw away all these technical things that are related to the definition of culture. We're now discussing a godly way of life. Is it identifiable? Yes. Is it achievable? Yes. Is it sustainable? Yes. But I must add that we must distinguish this from the regular human adopted ways once again of our own upbringing. See, our own upbringing teaches us certain things that, are, that, that we become almost inseparable from. And that depends on where you grow up. But what you grow up with can become something that offends someone in another culture. And it would actually be a totally wrong thing in another culture. So, when it comes to the word of God, it is clear that there are some things we have grown up with. Stuff we've picked up over time that could actually be offensive to God and offensive to his word. So I want us to distinguish those things clearly and begin to identify a little more deliberately the godly way. So for anyone who becomes a Christian, they gain a new identity, Dr. Slav. They gain a new identity. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. He or she is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There's a new identity that you drew our attention towards a little earlier. So, I want us to be clear that the identified godly way of the kingdom must be seen as being very distinct from some things we like, things we're used to, things we're brought up with or brought up through, which attach themselves to us. But sometimes they begin to work against the culture of the kingdom. You may grow up in a home where people are used to telling lies. And that culture of lies is an offense to the godly life of the kingdom. I've heard people who say, when they have you, you confront them over a, a moral laxity, you're talking to a man who's, who's morally uh, challenged and extramarital affairs and so on, and you begin to talk to them and you're counseling them. He says, no, but Bishop, I grew up around women, so what? So you must make that your life because you grew up among women? No. No, that's just my lifestyle. You know, I'm just much freer with women than I am with men. Question mark. Your adopted way of life 
when you are a believer, no matter how much you've grown up with those things, must now be checked by the word of God. And the godly way of life must become your lifestyle. So I want us to look at some two, three examples from the word of God where there is a clear distinction from adopted customs and norms. And Jesus spoke forthrightly to show that this distinction must deliberately exist. Let's start in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, chapter 7. According, gospel according to Mark. Those of you who have registered for the um, uh, the Shepherd's Academy and uh, you're starting a course in Synoptic Gospels, you will find the book of Mark very powerful. Mark speaks with precision to the point. The things he recorded were dramatic and uh, it was like watching a movie. He mentioned details and quickly moves from one detail to the other and he, sparked, he packs them in, 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 a, in, a, in a moment. And so when you read three, four verses in Mark, watch out. Here's an example. Mark 7. Watch out. I learned many years that when my father and mother referred to some case in the court, they said, Akafuma, watch out. At Mulandu Kafuma, watch out. It took me a long time to learn that what they meant is that the court said to him, the court cautioned this person and said, watch out. So then the person goes, is cautioned. But my people said, Ah, Mulandu Kafuma, watch out. That's the culture of my people. Even wise ones make mistakes. Mark 7. So watch out. Here's Mark's drama. From verse number 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating with hands. There's a more. Eating with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. So in this culture, the moral was that if you ate without people having seen you as washing your hands, you've you defied something. So let's read on. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. That's a moral. Holding on to the tradition of the elders. That's a more. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. They knew something about COVID back then. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? So the disciples were here now in a different location where what they did appeared to contravene the mores of the time or of the region or of these people. He replied, this is my Jesus now. Isaiah was right 
when he prophesied about you hypocrites. See, that's Mark now reporting. He gets down to the point. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have to let go of the commands of God. You have let go, excuse me, of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. There's a problem. We're culture now. They're mores. In terms of understanding and practice, we're more important than what now what God was seeking to introduce. So God, God is, is saying to them, Jesus is saying to them, you've done something wrong. And he continued, verse number nine. You have fine, we have, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that, declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Korban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition and you have that you have handed down and you do many things like that. That was a serious indictment. Now, what was happening then, if we transpose it to our time, could happen where we might have an attachment to what we've been brought up in more than we have to the word of God. And this is a problem with what we're seeing around the world. There are some cultural lifestyles and some preferred lifestyles that are being proposed for some of our nations. Some of these things are merely learned behaviors, cultural. But now they're being elevated to the place of rights. And we must watch out. We must watch out. We must not be placed in a location where we're being forced to make it look like there are people whom we like and those whom we don't like. And for instance, right now, this, the, the discussion on homosexuality is topical here in Zambia. And you may fear to ever lift up your voice. Even before we open the word of God and quote verse and chapter, which clearly categorically places, say, the act of homosexuality in the category of a sin, when you just look at the culture, predominant culture, predominant mores of our people. There are verse. There. They, they reject that lifestyle. Now, people go into history and say, no, 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 you don't know enough. They're in history. There were these kings. They did this. That was a lifestyle. And they were kings. People couldn't talk up to them. But in the ordinary life, people abhor that lifestyle. So, I encourage parents to work hard towards making sure that the culture around your home is the culture of the word of God. It is more superior, more important. This culture, the culture of the word of God is above Western culture. It's above African culture. 
African culture must bow to the culture of the word of God. European culture must bow to the culture of the word of God if anyone chooses to become a Christian. When you choose to become a Christian, then everything else that you've been brought around or through must bow. Because every knee should bow and every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is God to the glory of God the Father. I've been engaged in the health sector for 30, over 30 years now. In the health sector, when we are handling HIV AIDS, for instance, when people come, and we run, you know very well, we run um, a clinic, we run a hospital, and then we have outlets over 30 in different locations here in Lusaka. Every single market has an outlet of ours. We're identifying particularly men who've been lost in the process of seeking treatment. Most women go more readily to find out their status and to seek treatment in the face of HIV. Men have sort of been lacking, and so we're seeking out men and bringing them. Now, in our administration of healthcare, we don't ask people what sort of life style are you living. So if say a homosexual came and they needed treatment, we treat them. Nobody's denied treatment. Because everybody must receive care. But the narrative out there wants to make you think that you are discriminating in this country. No, there's no discrimination. Everybody's entitled to care. If somebody has contracted HIV as a result of uh, same-sex relationships, we treat them. I speak as a practitioner and an authority in that area. Because my studies are in HIV social policy. That's where my research has been. So let's, so let's put this thing into perspective. Access to treatment is for all. But we cannot use the field of HIV or any other platform as a platform for promoting a lifestyle that we know is contrary to the word of God. Is everybody hearing me? No, we can't use that as a platform. No, we can't. So we've got to be very, very just in the way we speak to one another. We have to be just. And remember from last Sunday, justice is about you caring for another person. Justice is about sharing love, showing concern. That's a matter of justice. And I encourage you, Zambia, take a stand in this area, but take a just stand. Where you do not make it look like somebody now no longer has hope. But we don't compromise either. God loves everyone. But God does not say that we come to him on our terms. If we come to him, then the lifestyle we choose must be the lifestyle of the word of God. The norms of the word of God. The norms of the word of God. Hallelujah. So parents, do not be intimidated. Engage in this conversation. Just speak as a parent. You don't have to know the technical terms. You don't have to know all these things they're trying to talk about. There's so many gender, this gender, that. You don't have to know all that. Just say no. For me and for my children, I want a lifestyle that is consistent with the word of God. And, and do speak up. Do speak up. Speak to your representatives. 
So that if ever these things come to the floor of parliament, your representatives will know where you stand. Somebody shout hallelujah. So Jen, J J Jeremiah chapter 10 is another example of where we can see something about uh, God cautioning us regarding the mores of the people. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 10. Here, the Lord says to you, people of Israel, thank you, uh, Tim, for getting that for me quickly. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by signs in the heavens, though the nations are terrified by them. Next verse. For the practices, the mores, the culture, for the practices of the peoples are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest and the craftsman shapes it with his chisel. And when you read on, then they go on to worship it. And he's saying this culture of idolatry is not uh, uh, idolatry in this case is what was in, in, in focus. He says it's not right. So th these ways, these, these things that we grow up with that end up being contrary to the word. If we choose to be Christians, then the norm of the word of God must take the upper hand. Is this making sense to somebody here today? If it's making sense to you, lift up one hand and shout praise the Lord. Amen. Shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. We know that very well. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse number two. Do not conform to the pattern, to the mores, to the pattern, to the thinking. Ah. Uh, it was you, Dr. Nathan, that uh, I think when you were speaking, I can't remember when, but there was a time you were speaking, you talked about righteousness, and uh, you defined it as right thinking, right speak. All right. Give him a mic. Give him a mic. Give him a mic. I want you to give him a mic. And one of those cameras must point at him. So that those who are following us can follow. From the sound, give me Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 in the Amplified. Okay? Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. So 2, 2, 2, 2, 2 in the Amplified. So righteousness is a right relationship with God mm -hmm. that leads to right, right thinking, thinking right, right speaking, right, right attitude, uh -huh. and right doing, all aligned to the Word of God. I said the Amplified because it's in the Amplified. Okay. It's so clear. They, they okay. don't have that right there. All right. We've heard that. A big hand. That is extremely important. So when we go back to Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2. He says, do not be conformed to the 
pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that right thinking, right attitude, right speaking, right doing, all around the will of God, the pattern of God's will and his word. He says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Somebody shout hallelujah. This is the culture of the kingdom. And it doesn't just happen. It happens when you take on the Lord as your savior. He rules your life. And in a short while, I will show you the nuggets from the passage we have read. The quick ones that make up what we are discussing here in just a few moments. I'll be showing you. So, let's summarize this before we look at the actual norms that are identifiable from the passage. And there are quite a few, but they'll be quick ones. So we've established that God's kingdom has a culture. It's a godly way of life that is guided by the word of God. I have illustrated by showing the need for it to be very distinct. That way of life must be distinct from things that you like. In any so, you now must change. You have a new identity. So how do they know you? Meaning, go and ask those who know me. Who are those and what do they know about you? If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Hallelujah. So, Dr. Slavo, you were in the spirit. When you talked about somebody wanting to say, okay, Fidianadi, ah, you can't go back there. It is forward only. And there is a new way of life. Somebody shout hallelujah. Okay, having established that, I want to take you through some quick components. They're all here. It's, it's, a, it's a big list. In fact, some, find as, some list as many as, as nine here. But we don't have time for that. So, so I want to take you just through five quick ones just now. Number one. Five quick ones here. What you see as biblical norms that are identifiable from the New Testament church lifestyle. In my view, and my, my assessment of this, as I've been meditating this week, is, is that these five things form what I call a process of sustainable growth. A very serious process of sustainable growth. Number one, I see when I examine this passage that the people who are said to be they, they, these ones who are said to be they, they devoted themselves. These people, in my view, moved from decision to devotion. And I'll explain. They moved from passion to prayer. They moved from celebration to demonstration of God's power. They moved from giving to sharing. They moved from going to church to being the church. 
Let me run over these quickly. Number one, they moved from decision to devotion. If I pick up the context from verse number 38, we'll come in it at 31 and 22. The Bible says in Acts 2, verse 38, Peter replied, repent. In fact, we can pick it up from uh, verse 36. Therefore, little Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, which the choir sang about, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. So there was conviction. So with passion, with passion, they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Those serious passion there. They were ready to move. And so Peter responds very quickly. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, for your children, and for all, of, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Now, verse 41 records a decision. Those who accepted his message were baptized. So they recorded that day 3,000 decisions. And they were added to the number of the church that day. But you see, those decisions had to be processed. And there's some of you who have been involved with us in the Lusaka mission uh, with uh, African Enterprise. Some of you are involved with us now with the Christ for All Nations crusades taking place. Decisions are being registered. We can't leave it at just saying, well, you know, in the month of August, we had Lusaka mission. In the month of September, we had Sifan crusade. What do we do with those decisions? The people who have made those decisions, that also applies to all of us who've once, at least in our lives, made that decision, must move from that decision to devotion. And devotion means a commitment that's identifiable, that is traceable. So they devoted to the apostles' teaching. So in one sense, if you want to look at the technical uh, definition of culture as involving arts or artifact, a spiritual artifact of the kingdom is the word of God. This is an artifact. This is a spiritual artifact of the kingdom containing the apostles' doctrine. It became the culture to them. They devoted them, they devoted themselves to fellowship. One of the things that COVID did for many people is they got used to being away from others. And you know, various psychologists have written books and studies have been done that suicides increased because people were enshrined from just social interaction. We all know that. So as a believer, 
You need association and fellowship with others. There must be a clearly identified devotion that we see, we must see in your life. We can't even talk about the other things, but I highlight those. So once the decision is made, you become devoted. That's why we have the discipleship classes taking place right now. It's part of that devotion. So those of you who have newly come into the kingdom, welcome into the kingdom. The culture of the kingdom is that we want to work with you and help you to now demonstrate your devotion to the Lord's teachings and to fellowship and many other things. Hebrews 10.25, that, that some do not forsake the gathering together with others as is the habit of some. Habit, meaning they learned something over time, which became a bad thing, became a habit to keep away from fellowship. But God is saying, no, no, no. Develop a better habit of fellowshipping with others. And that fellowship means coming here, yes, to church, but point number five I will share with you that it's more than just coming to church. It's about being the church, but I will explain. Fellowship is taking place on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, you must be able to identify who you need to fellowship with. Life groups are a matter of culture here in the church. That's why Pastor Reverend Tanga will be coming soon. We want to find out from among you, those who don't yet have life groups. We want to help you by directing you to a life group. That's where life is lived. The Christianity is lived in the community. And the whole concept of community is about living out your word. The justice that was being talked about last Sunday. We cannot be able to just talk about justice as something that only happens in the courts. No, justice in the word of God is about righteousness, practicing righteousness. And practicing righteousness is about being able to be just by loving and caring your neighbor. If you read the teaching of Jesus, that's what justice is about. And you can't do that unless you are in connection with your brothers and sisters to be able to touch others. Amen. Hallelujah. So let's say together, from decision to devotion. Number two. Another key nugget. And I said I'll be quick with each of these. Another key nugget I see in here is from passion to prayer. I already explained to you how they made this decision with such passion. And as you read on in verse number 42, the last part, the Bible says they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Their passion is very clear. But they didn't just get sustained by passion. This passion drove them to their knees to prayer. We've taught on prayer so often, and we found out, research shows that in many places, prayer meetings are the least attended. Yet this is our powerhouse. Very soon, we'll be announcing the resumption of our Friday, uh, our consistent Friday prayer meetings and restoration of our Bible study. All these things have gone on hold during COVID. We're doing everything online. We can only go so far online. The way God has designed us is that when we meet and 
look into each other's eyes and feel each other's body language by how we are relating. We experience love and receive love and care. So whatever the enemy meant by estranging us from one another during COVID must now be something that we overcome. Prayer. The New Testament shows this prayer as a lifestyle, not as a program. And you heard the call from Reverend Katanga here. We are calling us this next Sunday to come at the seven hours time in order to pray and so on. But we're going to extend that into the, into the week and, and go on to just seek the Lord to pray for Zambia. But when you look at Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 3 in the first verse, it talks about Peter and John going out to the, to the place of prayer at the hour of prayer. It was a lifestyle. When you read on into chapter 4, you will see that when they were opposed, the natural response when was prayer. You look at chapter 4 and verse number 12. They lifted up their voices and prayed. And you read on, verse 23 onwards, the believers continued to pray. It was their lifestyle. It was their lifestyle. So, number 2. As part of the culture of the kingdom, we must identify from your passion a clear shift towards prayer. May prayer be your lifeline in the name of Jesus. Somebody shout hallelujah. We talk about these basics when somebody comes to Christ. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Pray every day. Pray every day. Read your Bible. Pray every day. As you grow, grow, grow. As you grow, grow, grow. That's just what it is. It's a culture of the kingdom. If you go into chapter 13 of Acts, you see the church gathered in a place of prayer. And God visiting them. And it's a very powerful portrayal there. Of how they were gathered. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said in verse 22. Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul. The church was praying. May it be our portion. Sometimes these things fizzle off. We must not allow that. And as we receive new souls coming into the kingdom, let them find this culture. Number three, quickly. From celebration to a demonstration of God's power. Now, when we gather on Sunday, there is celebration and that's great. That is great. But it can't all revolve around this, the celebration of life here. Our real life is out there. And what we see in verse number 43 is that when they went out there, the Bible says everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs by the apostles. In verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all God's people, which means God's power was visible, not just in the church, but out there. And I've said before in Mark 16, and these signs shall follow not just apostles and pastors and priests and bishops. These signs shall follow who? Them that believe. Who are those? That's you. That's you. That's you. The ordinary Christian life, the culture 
of a Christian life is a culture of the miraculous. So don't wait for some prophet out there to come and tell you, oh, come, come, sit, and you see a sign. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you think you must pay money to, to see uh, blind eyes open, to see deaf ears open. No, you have the power from Jesus to lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. Some of those people, instead of calling for you to go and gather out there, must go to the hospitals if they carry that power. And let them just empty our hospitals of the sick people. But they won't have time for that. Because that's for you, the true believer. That's for you, the sincere one. Who go in, not because you're seeking a miracle. You go in because you care for someone. But in the process of praying for them, God may actually raise them from there. That's the miraculous demonstration of the Spirit's power. It's the culture of the believer. So you sh the miraculous must not shock you and say, ah, I'm not seeing this at church. Me, I'll go there where these things are happening. No, it must be happening in your life. In your life. In your life. Did you hear me? In your life. What does the Bible say? These signs. Let's read together. Verse 17, Mark 16. One, two, three. And these signs will accompany accompany who those who believe in my name in your name we heard from the choir in my name they we asked who are they they the devoted ones hallelujah in my name they will drive out demons they will speak in new tongues at the crusade which is ending today the people who are handling decisions at the very end are yourselves. This week the evangelist will be gone. You and I remain to culture God's... By the way, this word culture, the reason why I said it's very technical, is that in the field of medicine, in fact, I feel that they have, they have actualized it better. Because when they talk about, uh, uh, say, uh, suspected bacteria, and whose behavior they are not completely sure of, and they want to medicate and treat properly. Sometimes they will harvest. Okay, they will allow for a harvesting of that bacteria. And what do they say? They culture it. They put it in an environment where the conditions are just right for that bacteria to grow. And that principle of creating an environment for growth is the culture of the kingdom. That is why we must have no time for quarreling, no time for gossip, no time for that stuff. Because gossip is anti-growth. Backbiting is anti-growth. Suspicion is anti-growth. But when there is love, it's an atmosphere where you and I can grow. Just like a bacteria can be cultured. And when it's cultured, they're treating, they're administering, they might actually find out which drug eventually takes it out. Then they administer it. But they've allowed it. They've allowed themselves to study. They cultured it. Ah, may there be a strong culture of growth. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Celebration to demonstration of God's power. And you and I must demonstrate that 
It's the culture of the miraculous. Number four, from giving to sharing. From verse 34 onwards, you see, they sold their properties and had everything in common. And he gave to everyone who had need. People have built doctrines out of this and so on. And I know you can. You, you can do this. You, you can offer things to uh, the church and to the kingdom and to men of God. But you must also see the greater context. The greater context and motivation was that they looked around at the needs in the body. This thing has become cultured around personalities and so on. And people do it sometimes, even with, not, not even with, with a clear conscience. They, they are looking for a, a big blessing in return. That's a terrible culture. So let me talk about the difference between this shift of just having a culture of giving to that of sharing. You see, in giving, what we encourage everyone to give, and giving is, is a grace that must grow, and we heard it preempted by Dr. Slavoj when he talked about giving cheerfully, so it's an attitude. The attitude has to be right. The motive has to be right. But watch this. The Bible says that they gave because they looked around for those who were in need and that they had all things in common. You see, giving, you can give and be detached. We make an appeal here, oh, yeah, now next week we'll be probably calling you because it's month end, so we want to share with you the next level. Demolition work has begun. We want to go to the next level and we want everybody. So we'll be giving out sheets. For those who have not yet gotten platforms, we'll give out to everybody. We want everybody, everybody to participate. Now it's very possible to say, ah, meaning these people have traveled us a lot. Let me just give them. You know, you could do that and detach yourself. You've met the duty. You've given. But sharing is a different thing altogether. Sharing requires an investment of your time, of your life. So you don't just give once, you share what you have. And what we're seeing here as a culture of a kingdom was a culture of sharing. They gave at the altar, but they went home and they still shared. It's about sharing life. I miss the days when as Christians, you could just call a believer and say, what are you doing this evening? Are you guys home? We're coming. These days, these days, Douglas Love, these days, hello, can we come through? Oh, no, 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 I think let's do it two weeks from now. Now, appointments are useful, yes, but you see what creates an environment to, for us to feel free to drop in on one another is a culture of sharing. Because we are related. It's a culture of sharing. Can you, how many people can you call here? You can count on the fact that if you call, you will find them at home. And, and okay, can we meet? Can we hang out? And so let me say, 
very openly and frankly. Even here at church, we don't want to create a situation where you make it look like you can only see us on appointment. Those are us useful, yes. But there's got to be a place where you feel the liberty and that grows on relationship. Some of you are too distanced. We are your parents. Some of you feel very free to call. Bishop, are you at the office? Can I come? And I say yes. And sometimes you've sat there and you've said, ah, Bishop, you know, I must confess. I didn't think that you might say I can come now. So we create these barriers. Because we hold opinions about one another. And perceptions about one another. And may I encourage you to learn personally by being in contact with your leaders, your elders, your pastors, your deacons, and your bishop. Don't just read about them on social media. Because the people who write about them on social media do not know who these people are. They have guesses. They have opinions. They have labels. But when you come, you will understand that these and ourselves are real people and that we are called to care. We are called to care and to share. There is a line right there for the rappers. So we must move from simple giving to sharing. Does it make sense? In giving, you give and you could detach. In sharing, you give and you invest yourself. And you keep on sharing. You keep on responding. May that be the culture of the church. All things in common. Lastly, an identifiable norm from this passage is a sea is I see a movement in these people from going to church to being the church. You see, coming to church like you've done now is an act. But according to the word of God, you and I are the temple. Right now, this is the building. It's a temple. Yeah, four walls. And in the coming months, not too long from now, it will come down. And a new one will rise. Because our construction is at phase two. Phase three, this one comes down. But the church is not this building. According to the word of God, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Bible says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Somewhere beginning at verse 11 onwards, and ending in verse 19 and 20, a whole conversation about how we must not give our bodies to sexual immorality. Because this is the temple. So guess what? You are the church. And I want us to move from coming to church to being the church. So you are the church when you come. You are the church when you go out. That is why. Read with me in verse 46 and 47. Just observe quickly as we wrap up here. They broke bread. No, no, no. Let's begin at verse, the beginning of verse 46. Every day. Everybody say, everybody say with me every day. I love this. This is so powerful. But I must end it. I must end it. Every day, because every word there is pregnant with something. 
And I've been thinking I must do a series. No, but we'll just end it here. So it says, every day they continued to meet. Ah, come on. You know, like was shared by uh, Deacon Chiwe last week. You're invited to a meeting, noted thanks. But you don't show up. You must repent. You must repent. It's every day. Babes. Why am I? Pantumwe of Mogutam. The Matamufetsunguyo. Mamfoy. All right. Ati, every day, chilabushiku. Honorable. Every day, they continued. Mazua wose. What do we say in Tonga Chindi Achindi? What do we say? Every day. What's every day? Buzua wose. All right. Lozi? Zaz, and I like that one. Zaz in Zaz. <laughs> I like that one. Every day, they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread. There is not just the Lord's Supper here. It's an actual meal. They broke bread in their homes. And they ate together. This is moving from attending church to being the church. Our newest lawyer in town. Every day. So they threw away these titles and just became brothers and sisters. How about that? Hallelujah! May it be your portion. We have complicated life. You doctor, lawyer, chakuti, bishop, apostle, evangelist, nivachani. We have complicated life. We have complicated life. Let us narrow that distance. We are the church. Let's meet. And we've given Monday as an option. For everybody as a guide for one hour. 75 minutes actually. That's our life, life group time. 75 minutes. Meet together. Break bread. In our homes. And eat. Together. And the Bible says with glad. So we had joy is an identity. And sincere hearts. Nothing to hide. So that when Longo shows up in that meeting, he should not be seen as somebody who's come to see whether there are enough girls in that, uh, in that group. Hi, Longo. No, he's just your brother. And a very committed one for that mother. This one, this young man is a Christian. This young man. I know him. This young engineer here is a Christian. A diligent Christian for that matter. I can tell you that. A diligent one. I know I can count on Longo. I've called him sometimes at awkward times and said, Longo, here is his document. Can you work through this thing and just work it out for me? Systematize this data. Send it back within a short time. This young man sends that back to you. This one. 
I will come here and look very smart, but I've got people who help me do what I do. That's what the body is about. All right. So then, having established that, there's one key underlying principle, and we've read it already. We looked at Romans 12. We looked at Mark 1, chapter 1, verse 1 to 10, actually. The whole thing is about transformation and the renewal of the mind following the new birth. We've all received the new birth. We can do this. We can do this. I said, we can do this. Tell your neighbor, let's do this. Let's do this. In Jesus' name. Uh, give me slide number four, Vicky, and let's all stand. I want us to pray through slide number four. I want us today to make some movement. Say to yourself, I want to move from decision to devotion. One, two, three. Number two, I want to move from passion to prayer. Number three, I want to move from celebration to demonstration of God's power. Number four, I want to move from giving to sharing. Number five, I want to move from going to church to being the church. This is the culture of the kingdom. I'll ask the choir to come. Beloved, I want us to make this work for us. And for Deacon Shambluma, Senior Deacon Shambluma and your team, I didn't have time to exhaust number five, but when we talk about from going to church to being the church, that's where discipleship comes in. Where everyone must be seen as one whom we are discipling to become a mature Christian. They become a disciple-making disciple. That's our aim. And discipleship becomes a way of life it's not a program and it means that we start the cycles it becomes cyclical and becomes cyclical in the sense that people are born again they get devoted they become strong they are in the life of the church they go out and get others born again who become stronger they become part of the culture of the church and the kingdom keeps growing and may it happen daily 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 in the name of jesus hallelujah